Y'all were so happy, so hoping we were finished, weren't you? You were so hoping that was the final hymn. Uh, open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Just a few thoughts tonight. Uh, here at Woodburn, I'm preaching a sermon series entitled Paranormal Activity, taking a, a look at what the Bible says about all kinds of things that are dark and, uh, and, and weird and scary. Um, because honestly, that's where a lot of us have our questions, and in a lot of ways, it's where we live our lives. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, and start there. What do you think about horoscopes or psychics or lucky charms or maybe lucky bowling shirts? Um, because they all sort of go together. Tell me what your thoughts are. Well, you haven't really had an opportunity to speak to me about what you're thinking about these things. Uh, psychics, you, you heard the story, and, and I believe it's true, the story about the psychic hotline that, that people were calling for a while, and it had shut down. But when you call the psychic hotline, the message would say, due to unforeseen circumstances. You know, this, this hotline is, is, is shut down. Really? I mean, because if they're unforeseen circumstances, you should have shut that thing down a long, long time ago. Well, what do you think about these? Horoscopes, it's in the daily news every single day, I guess, every, every week. Yeah, horoscopes. A lot of people live their lives searching for something, and, and apparently these things, these sources, uh, seem to promise something. Uh, what do you think? I threw out the lucky bowling shirt. Yeah, the, the, Lucas, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so there are signs uh, th that are embedded in creation to suit God's purposes because he's the creator. Yeah, he, he's the creator. So what does that say about, you know, my lucky bowling shirt? You know, I, I, I'm a better bowler if I wear this shirt because we begin to look to lucky charms. Maybe you got a lucky rabbit's foot you wanted at the fair or... Or, or whatever. What do you think we're looking for? What are people looking for when they consult psychics or, or mediums or read their horoscope or, or, or put on a lucky shirt? What, what is it that we're looking for? What do you say, Taylor? Yeah, our concern is a better day, Taylor says, so we're looking to these things to see if we can know, to see if we can find out somehow what this day or what the future has for me. So number one, we, we seek knowledge. We seek knowledge that is otherwise unavailable to us. We cannot see or know the future. And if somebody suggests to us that they maybe can, that there's a part of us that, that really is drawn to that. that. There are things that we long to know that are just simply not within our knowledge. The future, uh, the future of what this day holds or maybe the future uh, much past this day. But, but we seek knowledge. What else? Yeah, what do you say? Yeah, it's, it's actually a cross 
But it's an interesting relationship with his cross. He kisses the cross six times in order to have protection. Yeah. And that would be in the Bible where? I mean, I love the cross. I, I love the cross. But, but something tells me that when you get to that point where, where, where the cross becomes more like a lucky charm, where, where you kiss it and, and look for protection as if the, the, the cross itself is magical, I don't know if this is what scripture means when it talks about the power of the cross. I was talking to a kid once. I said, uh, do you have a Bible? Do you read a Bible? He said, yes, I have a Bible. I put it by my bedside every night so I don't have bad dreams. I'm thinking, well, maybe you could read it. I mean, you know, because the Bible itself, it has power, but the power is from God. It's God's word, but it doesn't work if you don't read it. You understand? Laying this on your coffee table, it does nothing if you don't read it. So even sometimes our, our Christian symbols, the, the, the things that are a part of our Christian faith, can, can really be taken over with almost a kind of superstition. Because we seek knowledge and we seek protection. And honestly, we seek power. Because these are the things that as human beings we do not have. We're very vulnerable in the universe, and we do not have all knowledge, and we certainly don't have all power, and we're aware of that. And so we seek sources of knowledge. We seek sources of protection. We seek sources of power. So my next question is, are there any sources of knowledge or protection or power apart from God? The answer is? No, no. There is no knowledge apart from God's knowledge. There is no power apart from God's power. Now, as we talked in the first message, God has created the universe and he is Lord over all and master of everything. But there is a segment of creation that has rebelled against him and we would call that the demonic, those angels that have fallen, the demonic. And so we can say that there is now, that there's, that there's some limited power that is held by, by these beings. But the, the important word there is limited. It, it, it's limited. A, a demon, a fallen angel, does not have God's knowledge, does not see what God sees, does not have God's power. Just like the, the father of the devil, you understand, the only power that evil has is to lie. To deceive. Scripture says he was a liar and the father of liars. So, so, so understand, when you seek any other source of power in the universe apart from God, whether it's from an object or a person or someone who claims to have knowledge and power, you're truly not going to find the knowledge and power that comes from God. And he is the only source. So let's go. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. This is uh, Old Testament. But consistently through Scripture, this kind of prohibition is there. Let's break some of this down. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. Giving instructions to God's people as they enter the promised land. And this is what he says. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the, say the word, detestable. Your translation may say abominable. Be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, Never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is, say the word, 
detestable, abominable, and an abomination to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these, say the word, detestable, abominable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace, they they consult sorcerers and fortune tellers. But the Lord your God forbids you, forbids you to do such things. What's the key word in that passage? I tried to help you locate that. Detestable, or or your translation may say abominable. What does that word mean? Detestable, abominable. Do not do these detestable things. These, these things are an abomination uh, to, to God. What, what are we talking about? Yeah, they, they, they make God sick. You know, they make God sick. It's really strong language there. But yeah, they, they truly are an offense, an insult to God. What else? Abomination. Yeah, Lucas. It, it's truly unholy. It, it offends God's holiness, God's perfect moral holiness. It's an offense to God's holiness, an abomination. What else? Notice what it says. The nations you're about to displace, that they consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you, forbids you to do such things. Now, now truly, that word detestable, I, I detest you, it, that means I, I, I hate. So it's the strongest language possible in order to describe God's response to these actions, to, to this activity. It's, it, God literally hates these things. They're abomination. They're detestable to him. And so he forbids them. So, so let me ask you, I mean, Stephen just talked about God who loves. And God truly is a God of such amazing love. How can we turn in the same Bible and find out that there are things that God hates? What does God hate? If he loves everybody, what does God hate? God hates sin. God hates sin. Well, what's God got against sin? Yeah, sin separates us. Remember, God loves people. God loves us. And sin is anything that separates us from God. Anything that separates God from us, from us, from the people, the souls that God loves. So God's love is fierce, and God's love is strong, and it's poured out toward people. And anything that would separate us from him is abominable to him. God hates that because his love for us is so strong. What else? What does God hate? Why does God hate certain things? Why does God hate sin? Yeah, because it harms us. Taylor's right on there. Because it it hurts us. It harms us. God in his wisdom, God in his knowledge has created the heavens and the earth. And he has set boundaries around his creation. Boundaries around us. So that we can live inside his boundaries. And therefore always be in the place where he can show his favor to us. Always in the place where he can protect us. Always in the place where his blessings will flow into our lives. When we step out of those boundaries, that's what Scripture calls sin. And once we have entered into that that world of sin, do you understand? We are now very vulnerable to the harm and all the things that can happen. And God knows they happen. But he gives us that freedom to choose. And when we choose sin, we will suffer the consequences of sin. God sets boundaries. He forbids certain things to protect us from harm. So that we're not separated from his love, from his blessings, from his favor. Does that make sense? So in this passage, there are eight things, eight practices that God forbids, that that, that God hates, he he, he detests. What do you think they have in common? 
Don't let your people practice fortune-telling or sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth spirits of the dead. Now, just because we find these things in the Bible, does it mean that all of these things are actually real? If I find a medium or a person who tells me that they can tell the future by looking at cards, just because these things are in the Bible, does that mean that they're real? It says that a person who casts spells. If somebody casts a spell on me, is that real? Yeah. Not necessarily real. Not necessarily real. So understand that. Just because they're listed here doesn't, doesn't give these practices validity. And yet the, the act of seeking or practicing these things is still forbidden. So, so what do they have in common? Yeah, what do you say, Adrian? The, the, that's amazing, Adrian. Adrian says that all of these practices tread on, uh, on things or the thing that only God has control of. What do you mean by that, Adrian? Can you explain that? Yeah, we know where knowledge and power and control dwell in the hands of the Creator. And so these are people who seem to claim to have knowledge or to have power or to have some sort of control that we know only belongs to God. So it's treading very, very closely to the very holiness and identity of God. Yeah, it's an offense to God. What else? What do they have in common? Yeah, Manisa. Absolutely. It, it takes our attention, the person who practices or, or seeks uh, something in these practices, it takes attention away from the God who has the power and knowledge. It puts the attention on us as if we are the medium, as if we are the one who has knowledge and, and power. I would say all of these practices that you find in this passage, they fit under uh, a category I would call the occult. And you've probably heard that term before, the, the, the occult. And that's exactly from a Christian perspective, the very definition of, of, of the occult. It's, uh, these are activities that, that are based on um, so, some sort of source of power or knowledge, but that source is not Jesus as revealed to us in Scripture. You understand? Any seeking, any practicing of power, of knowledge that is not coming from God, from, from the Jesus revealed to us in Scripture, that's what we would call the, the occult. All the occult practices have to do with power, the magical power, powers of earth forces, whatever you want to say. Um, but these are powers, knowledge that, that, that is not coming from the only source, and that would be Christ, uh, whom we know in Scriptures. So all of these are, are occult practices. I'm, I'm going to break some things down. Honestly, when you have these eight terms, these eight practices here, they sort of overlap, um, but, but still there are some distinctions, and we'll kind of break it down. The, the first word there, I, I would say, is divination. Divination. You familiar with that word? What's that mean? To, to divine, uh, to practice divination, is, is to seek information through signs or, or omens. What's an omen? Well, it's a sign. Uh, signs or omens or rituals. Uh, some of you w were playing around with divination when, when, when you were a kid and you had a magic eight ball. Remember that? Uh, because, again, does that magic eight ball know anything? 
Yeah, no? Yeah, you, you quickly learn that it doesn't know anything. That's why when you'd ask it a question, shake it up, look at it, and then the little answer would float up. If you didn't like the answer, what would you do? Yeah, yeah, because it's just, it's just a dumb ball. But, but still, it's interesting how people will look to something like that as if it can impart knowledge. It's, it's divination to try to, to read signs, to, to study an omen, or, or have some sort of ritual that will bring knowledge. The, the next one in the scriptures is fortune-telling or, or soothsaying is, is the technical word that's used there. A fortune-telling, soothsaying. What's a fortune-teller? Yeah, someone who can tell your fortune, someone who can tell your future. Let's think about that word fortune. What's that word mean? Fortunate, your, your fortune. That, that word in itself is very telling. It's got to do with prosperity. But, but what else? Fortune. Fortune. I'm going to tell your fortune. It's kind of related to all those words that have to do with fate. What's fate? Yeah, fate is kind of the, the way things turn out. What would you say, Donna? Yeah, fate is what's coming my way. But the thing about fortune and fate, people who talk about fortune and fate, is that it's, it's an impersonal force. Fate, fortune, is just what happens. And, and I want to tell your fortune, but, but honestly, fortune tellers, it's not knowledge that comes from God. They're not saying that events are controlled by God. It's just simply fortune. It's fate. It, it's luck. The luck of the draw, you understand? So many of you, uh, you worship every evening at 6.30 when you watch the Wheel of Fortune. Yeah? And how does that work? What happens? You just spin the wheel, and sometimes you get a million dollars, a thousand dollars. I want to buy a vow. And then sometimes you get bankrupt. Boo! But you can't take that personally because you're just spinning a wheel. Yeah, just spinning a wheel. And there are people who look at life that way. It's just spinning a wheel. And some days you're going to come up bankrupt. And some days you're going to get big money, big money, big money. But it's just spinning a wheel. You see, fortune telling, the idea that, that there's just fate, there's just fortune. And it's just the luck of the draw. It's just the spin of the wheel. But do you understand how very counter that is to the knowledge we have in Christ? It's not the luck of the draw. It's not a spin of the wheel. I have a shepherd for my life. His name is Jesus. Do you understand? Things aren't just happening to me. My life is, is guided. And there's a purpose and reason behind it. It's not just spinning a wheel or, or, or casting the dice, fortune telling. Uh, the next one is a word. It's not the biblical word, but the, 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 the traditional word here is augury. Augury. It's a word you may have learned in a in maybe one of your literature classes. And it's one of the words mentioned here in the scripture. And Augurus was a person who tried to get knowledge by reading the clouds or trying to get knowledge by the way the birds fly. And in the ancient world, people felt like you could know stuff by which direction the birds flew. Okay, there's a reason why we use the phrase bird brain. So why would you think I mean, y'all know birds? Why would you? I mean, turkeys out in my backyard, you know, it rains, they look up and drown. I mean, they don't know anything, people. They don't know anything. But there have been many through the years who had a tradition of studying flights of birds to try to learn something about my future. 
or, or wipes away the clouds blow as if it's not just the wind, you understand? But, but they use these as signs somehow that, that you can make some sense out of. The next word used, number four, is sorcery. Now that's going to be a more familiar word to you. What is a sorcerer? What is sorcery? Yeah, magic. So what is magic? Now I'll tell you, I'll just be honest, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a magician. I, I ordered off TV what they called the TV magic kit. And I'm telling you, I, I had big plans, people. I had big, big plans of, you know, doing these enormous magic shows, festivals in Woodburn. It was like seven years old. The TV magic kit. It was really disappointing, though, because when I got the kit, I found out what I guess all magicians know, and that is what? It made my money disappear. And honestly, there's just a, there's a trick behind everything. It was just a trick behind everything. I mean, you know, David Copperfield did not make a bus appear and disappear. You know, it, it's a trick. And if you're watching it on TV, then, then come on, people. I mean, during the commercial, they drove the bus in. And, you know, there's a, there's a trick. There's no power there. Now, sometimes a good magician can really amaze you because he seems to have this human command, to, to, this ability to command natural forces, as if you could just make a lady levitate, you know, and float, and you do the hula hoop thing. Woo, woo. Do you understand? There's a trick to that. There's, there's a trick to that. Nobody's ever really sawed a lady in half, you understand, and then put her back together. It, 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 there, there's a trick to that, but the assumption is that, that there is some ability that humans have to, to command forces, natural forces, to have this power to, to amaze. It's, it's called sorcery, and it's not always just for entertainment in Vegas. There are people who really believe that they can have some control over the forces of nature. This is related, the, the use of charms in, in the passage here it calls them a spellcaster. A spellcaster. What are charms or, or what's a spellcaster? Yeah, like a good luck charm, something you would wear around your neck. Maybe you're carrying your purse or maybe you hang it from your rearview mirror to, to protect you, to, to keep bad things from happening to you. Those sorts of charms. Or, or a spellcaster. What's a spellcaster? I was a kid, I was a, I was a Gilligan's Island uh, fanatic. I love Gilligan's Island. Remember the Gilligan's Island episode where the witch doctor was on the island and he made little dolls of Gilligan and Skipper and Marianne and Ginger? And what did he do? Yeah, he'd stick pins in them, boom, and Ginger would go, oh! You know? He, he would put fire into the professor's feet and the professor would, would, would feel it. It's this idea that you can make things happen. Casting spells on people. Give them good luck or or. or or bad luck. It's, it's a spell caster. We talked about me, a medium this morning. A medium is a person who believes they can be a, an intermediary between the spiritual and the physical worlds. Wizardry. Wizardry is one of the things mentioned here in, in this passage. Again, it's, it, wizardry has to do uh, technically with acquiring supernatural knowledge or power through magic. And we've been talking about magic. The last one mentioned here is where we were this morning. The technical word is necromancy. Necromancy. And what does that have to do with? You're trying to contact or, or interact with someone who has died. Now, this gets very, very difficult and personal, I know, for, for a lot of you because you've lost people that you love. 
And sometimes in, in that time of grief, uh, you're, you're just begging for anything, any kind of sign. And, and you would pray that that person might come and visit you and, 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 and appear to you. And I understand that, but I also want you to understand how that sort of thing is, is, is kind of forbidden. We are not supposed to seek to communicate with or, or, or have a visitation with someone who is gone, even if it's someone that we love with our whole heart. This is strictly forbidden in Scripture. I've titled tonight's message, The Sin of Witchcraft, and I would put all of this kind of under the, the big tent of, of, of witchcraft. Most of us learned our first lesson in witchcraft perhaps by watching The Wizard of Oz, where the question is, are you a good witch? Or are you a Are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? Here, here's my question. Are there any good witches? I mean, maybe we should just drop a house on all of them. You, you under, understand? Are there any good witches? Now, honestly, in, in our day, there is a whole kind of explosion of a movement that's called Wicca. And they really do consider themselves white witches. They're not Satan worshipers. They tell you that they probably, most of them, don't even believe in Satan. That's not what they're about. But they do believe in earth forces. And they do believe that, that by somehow channeling earth forces, you can gain a certain kind of control over events or people. It's power still. It's manipulation of powers that they don't necessarily connect to any kind of God at all. Just nature or, or, or Mother Earth. But, but the idea is that somehow still there are forces that, that can be channeled and we can control those forces. So let me ask you the main question. What is it about witchcraft or the occult that makes it so detestable to God? Turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Start verse 11. It's, it's a good passage. Let's read from verse 11. Isaiah chapter 8. What is it that makes witchcraft the occult? What makes it so abominable to God? Why does God hate that so? Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to start with verse 11. Follow along with me. Don't, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. You, you should write that on your locker at school. That's good. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. Underline that. Make the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts, holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. I can't stop and preach that sermon, but y'all don't know how badly I want to. I love that. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. I love it. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. Preserve the teaching of God and trust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. 
I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in the temple on Mount Zion. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they'll tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry, and because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the dark. What is it about the occult, uh, witchcraft, what is it that makes that so detestable to God? It, it, it is just simply that human tendency not to want to live within the boundaries of what God provides. If, if I seek knowledge from a horoscope, what am I saying to God? I'm saying, God, you haven't told me enough about what I need to know. When I need some sort of security from a lucky charm or, or from some sort of, of, of magic or, or some sort of talisman, then what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you to protect me. When I look to some other source of power for my life, whether it's some sort of superstition or a person who promises me some ritual that will give me power, what I'm saying is, God, I refuse to live within the boundaries of the power that you have given me. When the Bible says, I can do all things through the Lord who strengthens me, you're not trusting that. You're looking for another source of strength. And nothing separates you from the God who made you and loves you more than the unwillingness to trust him. The unwillingness to simply trust what he reveals. He has given you everything you need to know. And if there's something that, that you don't know, either you're not supposed to know or you're not listening, Maybe you should listen to him. If you feel weak in your life and, and, and as if you don't have the strength to face what tomorrow brings, then, then maybe you need to wait for tomorrow when your strength will come, or maybe you need to begin to lean on the Lord, the only source of strength. He will not leave you without the knowledge you need. You need. He will not leave you without the strength you need. I've told y'all before about going to the, to the county fair with my, with my mom and dad, which is always a big deal since we lived in Woodburn and went nowhere ever. Um, go to the fair or Beach Bend, it was all the same. I, I loved it, man. I just loved it so much. And I love the rides. I still do, man. I, I, you know, the, uh, all those rides that spin you, make you puke, man. I just love those. I don't understand why. Um, but as a kid, I, I loved them. And, and at Beach Bend in the old days, you might pay a dime to get in, but once you got in, man, you paid all day long in, in those little tickets to ride the rides, and you buy tickets, and there's like three tickets to ride the Vomit Comet and three tickets to ride the Ferris wheel and, and all of that. Um, with my dad, though, I, I would always want so much to hold those tickets, you understand? I mean, those tickets represented fun. Those tickets represented power, baby. You could go on any ride in the place with a ticket in your hand. And my dad would buy, you know, $5 worth of tickets and keep them. And I would say, I would say can I have my tickets? Now, now, why am I asking that? Can I have my tickets? Why do I want my tickets? So that I can lose the old man. I mean, you understand? I mean, technically, I mean, lose the old man. I mean, he's just kind of walking around with the tickets in his hand, and, and, and I, would, I feel like I could be so much more awesome without him. 
So I said, can I have my tickets? So my dad would always say, no, no, I, I, I will hold your tickets. Now, why did dad hold on to all of my tickets? Because he's stingy? Because he wanted to kill my fun? No, because my dad knew me very, very well. If you gave me all of my tickets, what would I do? Lose them? Flush them down a urinal somewhere at Beach Bend? I, I would lose them. I, I simply do not need, cannot handle, I have no business with all of those tickets. Instead, what was my dad's plan? We'll just enjoy the park together. He would walk with me and take care of me. And at every single ride, at every destination, my dad would always reach into his pocket, tear out exactly what I needed, two tickets, place them in my hand. You understand? At exactly the moment when I needed it, he would give me exactly what I need. But I had to stay with him. I had to walk with him. And when you stay with the Lord your God, you understand? You may sometimes want to get ahead of him, and you may sometimes worry that, that, that when you get there, you, you won't have what you need. But I'm telling you, you stay with the Lord. And when you get to the place where you need more wisdom, more strength, more knowledge, more power, he will always supply exactly what you need. There is no other source of knowledge or power. You don't need luck or fortune. You just need to trust the Lord, and he will keep you safe. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord God, truly, we can look back in our lives and say with full confidence, you have never left us or forsaken us. Although, Lord, sometimes we have tried to leave you. Lord, there may have been times when we stumbled and when we've fallen. There may be times when sometimes we have struggled and felt alone. But, Lord, it's never because you left us. God, we do have this horrible tendency to try to run away from you or to run ahead of you. We have this terrible tendency to imagine that if we could somehow just do what pleases us, we would find everything we're looking for in life. But, Lord, that is the lie. Truly, the only way for us to find everything that we want in life is to learn what pleases you. So, Lord, help us to stay near you. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us to live with confidence and faith and peace with the knowledge and the power that you supply new every morning. God, you have given us the bread that we needed for this day, and you will supply the bread that we need tomorrow, Lord. You can be fully trusted with our lives. So, Lord Jesus, may we look to no other God, no other source of power. We need not consult any person. We only need you. So, Lord Jesus, tonight, bind our hearts to yours. Teach us what it means to trust you and to trust you alone. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.